Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello there, it's Ayers on the Road, and I'm literally on the road. I'm in a car in Gilbert, Arizona at a mall waiting for some grandchildren to do um, school shopping, which we are going to get to a little later in the show. Uh, we have been cool. inundated with grandchildren this week. So, wow, we've got a lot to talk about. Well, Linda, you are such a great granny, and you decided that when our daughter, Shawnee, had to drive back to Arizona with three little kids in tow, especially when she was jet-lagged, having just come back from India, you stepped up and made me feel guilty and decided to drive back with them. And so there you are in Arizona, and here I am in Utah waiting for you to fly back to me tonight. (laughs) I am. And I'll tell you what, it's life as usual with kids, with families, with cars. Uh, We had a flat tire when we came out. had to stop before we even started our journey, found a big screw in the tire, and the car wouldn't start at the tire shop and so we got it started and luckily I don't know how this happened but it must have been our prayers because I'll tell you what we made it all the way having stopped the car three times and having started the car again we have made it all the way here and now it won't start every single time so we've just gotten a new battery and uh, we're back in business You know, um, I was talking to someone the other day who listens to this show all the time, and and uh, I won't tell you everything they said. They said basically they, they listen for the entertainment value, and the main thing that, that he said he'd learned is that uh, life with children never does get easier. It just keeps getting more and more complicated and more and more filled with hassle and unknown quantities. <laughs> Yeah, so, that is. I don't is know. Maybe so maybe true. we're not. Maybe we're just discouraging people. Maybe people are saying, "Well, look at Richard and Linda. They're grandparents now, and their lives never did smooth out. They're just more uh, complicated than ever now." But we want to say we wouldn't trade this family-oriented life for anything, would we, honey? No, absolutely not. And I, I have to say that we are having a lot of fun as empty nesters. And we really appreciate that when we have grandchildren for a few weeks. We really have had family with us from about 25 to 42 for the last uh, month, literally. Well, no, five weeks because we had a family the week before we started gathering. Yeah, five, late. five weeks with an average of 40 people in our house all the time. So it's I guess we make up for it, but now when you get home later tonight for the first time in five weeks, it'll be just the two of us, and hey, what should we do tonight? Should we go out to dinner and a movie and just relax? We haven't we haven't been able to for five weeks. <laughs> I think that sounds like a great idea. All right, I'm inviting you on a date right here on the radio, right on the air. And, well, I'm uh, ready to go. Do I sound kind of giddy? <laughs> yeah, you sound like you're... <laughs> You, you know, that's the wonderful thing about grandkids. You're so happy when they show up, and you're so happy when they leave. And it makes you empathize with parents where they never leave. <laughs> they never leave. In fact, you know, I promised myself I would never forget how hard that is, and I did. You know, you really just can't remember how difficult that is to be in the trenches 24-7. And we, we've traveled so much through the world and and with a lot of wealthy families who have nannies and housekeepers and drivers and so on 
And I just think, oh, those poor people, they don't even know the real world. Wow. I mean, you know, life is just, I'm sure they had their hassles as well and things we're not aware of. But, wow, it is really difficult to be on duty 24-7. Nobody knows the trouble we've seen. Nobody <laughs> knows but other parents. <laughs> That's right. Well, I thought what we'd talk a little about today is um, a couple things that we've written about in our in our column for the Deseret News this week, and uh, it's kind of fun to follow up on those. A lot of you listeners read the columns and then also listen to the radio show occasionally. And uh, the first one we wrote this week had to do with the sort of what we call the third variable. And uh, let me explain what what I mean by that. Uh, most parents in the world sort of have the nature versus nurture debate. They say, well, did this kid become who he is because of genetics, because of nature, so to speak, or did he become who he is because of the way I parented him, in other words, through through nurture, and nature versus nurture. And most people conclude that it's some combination of the two that creates the personality and the character and the nature of the child. But that doesn't always explain everything, to say the least. I, I always think of the uh, the little cartoon in the in the uh, car, just a little uh, cartoon that I saw once in a magazine where a little kid had brought home a very bad report card, and all you see in the cartoon is he's handed it to his father, and his father's looking at it, and he's got a red face, and it's obviously a really bad report card. And before the dad can say anything. The little boy says, gee, Dad, what do you think it is, environment or heredity? And <laughs> I guess um, that's one way to throw it back on the parent. But, of course, the point I want to make and the point I, that we tried to make in the article this week is that environment doesn't always explain everything, nor does heredity. Otherwise, why would siblings who are raised in the same home by the same parents and have exactly the same genetics, why would those siblings be so completely different? And any of you parents who have two or more children know what I'm talking about. They're, they're never the same. They have their own individual character and personality. And what we mean by the third variable is our belief that these children were not created by the parents. They weren't the product of a sperm and egg. They were something more than that. They came from a spiritual existence before this existence, before mortality. And in that pre-existence, they developed who they are, their nature, their character, their propensities, their gifts, their temperaments. And... I think it's a wonderfully comforting thought, although a challenging thought at the same time, for all of us parents to try to understand that these children already are who they are. And our job is not to remake them into some creation that we've imagined, but rather to do the best we can for who they are, discover who they are, discover as much as we can about their personality, their makeup, and then parent them accordingly to maximize what they already are, rather than trying to create them into something they will never be. Well, and rather than, I mean, 
it, whether or not you believe that they came from another existence and so on, it just makes sense to parents all over the world. When we say they come who they are, they are all nodding their heads because they just know that they didn't make that person. They, if they were, could have made them, maybe they would have done a little different mix, but they did not, and they have to deal with the mix that they're given on each child. And Wow, with nine children in our family, I just there there are no two alike. I mean, there are a few that have some similar characteristics, but basically they are all so different. They deal with problems differently. They look at the world differently. Some see the life the world has glass half full and some half empty, and it really is so interesting to see that they were all raised in the same house, the same environment, and they are all totally different. Well, and you know, it is, a, you know, we we don't try to get into a deep theology on this radio show, but but we do, we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which has a, has an official part of its theology, this pre-mortal existence, where all of us who live on the earth lived as children of God before we came here. And so we perceive our children to be essentially our spiritual brothers and sisters, who just came to this earth 30 or whatever years after we did and show up as our children, but people who are equal with us in terms of their eternal existence. Now, you say, Linda, as we travel around the world, we don't run into a lot of people who share that belief, and, and we probably don't officially, but it is amazing to me how many parents, when we talk to them, whether they're Hindus, whether they're Muslims, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Christian, when you say to them, do you think that your child started at conception or at birth, or do you think there's something deeper? Do you think there's something that maybe pre-existed this earth? Most of them at least entertain the thought that that could very well be true, because they you know, especially mothers who 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 bring a baby home from the hospital and sort of already have a sense of the personality that that child has. They know that they know that they brought that personality into the world. They haven't had time to develop it yet. It's it's part of who they are, and it's more than physical physiology or genetics. It's something deeper, and many many parents. Uh, since that now why why do we why do we even bother to, to talk about that because I would suggest to you listeners that with that idea in mind, parenting becomes a whole different thing instead of uh you trying to mold a child into some creation of your own and and feeling like you own the child and you created the child, you now adopt an attitude of stewardship. You are responsible now for a spiritual brother or sister, and your first task is to figure out who that person is so that you can parent them appropriately. Well, I think it actually releases you from a lot of guilt also. I think that's why parents are so enthusiastic about that idea, because... You know, you have to say to yourself, I did not make this child. I, there is no way that I could have produced this desire or not desire or whatever it is or propensity for this or that or the other. Um, it, they just come with these gifts, these wonderful gifts. Usually it's wonderful gifts. There are some things that are annoying, we have to admit, but it is amazing that our kids have 
produce these wonderful things, and neither of us knows anything about that. We just think, in fact, last night we have a son who is a school teacher. It's his passion. He loves being with kids every day. And he came and showed me a video of that Mars um, expedition and all that had to happen uh, to get that thing to land. And honestly, it was absolutely amazing. I just thought, where did this child come from? I have no concept of this, but it is truly amazing to me. And I so yeah. admire what our kids love that I am unaware of because they teach me so much. Well, and the other the other thing about that perspective of children as a stewardship is that uh, it really changes changes your prayers. I mean, when you're a, a mom or a dad and you're essentially saying to God, I perceive this child who I'm having a hard time with right now is actually your child, God, or Heavenly Father. Please help me as a babysitter here on earth, a surrogate parent, if you will, to know what this child needs and to be a good parent to him or her. Well, we'll have a couple more little comments on that after this break, and then we'll get into something very, very practical moving from the theoretical to the practical, namely how to help kids set good school year goals as we approach this new school year. Take a brief break. We'll be right back with you on Ayers on the Road. Okay, we're back from the break. Richard and Linda Iyer on Iyer's on the Road. And um, we've been talking about what an interesting thing it is to think of your children not as little beings that you have created, but as something sent from God and some a stewardship that we have to work on to try to figure out their nature and their personalities. And um, I think it's a wonderful way to sort of view the world and a wonderful way to view parenting and as you say Linda it kind of gets you off the hook and and we even tell people look if you if you if, if all your kids are easy maybe God didn't think too much of you he say all easy kids on the other hand if you've got a tough one a really difficult child maybe God thought quite a bit of you to send you that difficult child so sometimes it eases our guilt and we say wow i better just do the best i can with what i've been given uh absolutely right and i think that's something to really think about as we as we approach the school year because again they're all starting again uh, the kids here in arizona are starting on wednesday day and in a couple of days and Actually, our son started last week, which was the end of July, which we could not believe. That seems like cruel and unusual. Where did summer vacation? What happened to summer vacation? I don't know, but the weather forecast here for the next week is 111, 113, 113, 111. What a way to start school! Can you imagine? I guess. Well, maybe that's maybe that's why they do it. Maybe they maybe they got to get them inside an air-conditioned classroom. I guess so, but boy, that's a lot of electricity. But anyway, it's not my choice, and, and you have to go to school when they say you do, unless you're homeschooling, which we could also touch on today, too. But it really is so important to have your kids sit down and think about what they want to do for this school year. Uh, one of our granddaughters here was writing in her journal, and I, it was so cute. She's um, 11, and she's going into sixth grade, and she said, I really am so excited to go back to school to increase my knowledge and I don't know how many first graders think about <laughs> Who that, said that when they Who go back that? to school. Grace, 
And uh, little 11-year-olds going back to increase her knowledge. Yes, but it is important for them to think about it. It's not just pour them into the classroom and, and you know, which teacher are they going to have and how are they going to do, and all that is in your mind right now. But what you really need to think about, and for the Utah people that are listening, you have a, a couple weeks, three weeks or so, I think, before you're starting school. And so this is a great time to think about how to sit your kids down and have them have ownership of their school year goals. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we find as we travel around talking to parents that it's a common misconception that uh, goals are really a sophisticated thing and surely little children are not uh, old enough or smart enough or capable of, of setting goals. That's kind of an adult thing, isn't it? Well, not at all. In fact, many of you who have, may have done joy school for your preschoolers know that one of the main units in that program is goal setting. Goal setting for three-year-olds. Because when you really think about it, a goal is one of the simplest things in the world. It is simply a person's clear desire to accomplish a specific thing. And little kids can actually write down goals before they can even write. They can draw a picture of a goal, and they can say, this is what I want to learn to do, or this is what I want to accomplish, or this is what I want to become. And they really get goal setting. In fact, sometimes kids seem to get it better than adults. And and the, the best time frame, we think, for setting goals I mean, you can set little weekly goals and so on, but, but short-term goals are always better if they're building blocks in some kind of a longer-range goal. And for kids, about as far as you can expect them to think ahead is a school year, nine months. And, and yeah, kids and can, you know, it lends itself to a, to, a, to a structure of setting goals for the school year, not just academic goals, as we'll get into, but different goals, but with the time frame of the school year. We actually have done it two different ways. Um, when our, young, our older kids were home, we always had them write their goals according to the five facets of their life and decide what they wanted to do with those five facets. And they like that so much that those older kids are now doing that with their younger kids. And for example, we had them write down what were their physical goals this year. Um, as far as sugar goes or, you know, their health, exercise, and so on. Little kids need to be thinking about this now. Well, a lot, of, a lot of their sports goals would fit under physical goals. Of course. And then mental goals. What grades do they want to get this year? And you can't stand over them and say, you are so smart in math. I really think your goal should be to get an A in math, don't you? Yeah, I write that down. Get an A in math. That is not their goal. That is your goal. You need to really talk with them and then leave them. Let it be theirs. Let it be their goal. If they kind of are low on their goals, say, you know, are you sure that you can't do better in this? Um, think about that. And, and if not, let it, let them own it. <laughs> if they say, well, so, I'd like so, to get a D, then obviously that's not going to work. But Yeah, so to finish, the, to finish the five facets, so you've got physical goals. And, again, that could be a weight goal. It could be an eating goal. It could be a dental goal. It could be any number of things. Then Exercise mental goals, goal. which are usually grades, but also could be the number of books they want to read or, or other mental goals. And social goals could have to do with uh, how many friends they want to make, how many uh, 
you know, how they want to treat new kids at school, just lots of social things that are involved in a child's life. And then emotional goals might have to do with not losing their temper or with uh, staying calmer or, you know, having a better outlook on life. And then spiritual goals, again, according to your own faith and so on, might have to do with scriptures or with church attendance or whatever. But the, the point is, and I think this is what you were saying, Linda, that if, if you structure it too much, you begin to take over the process and you, you take ownership of the goals away from the kids. On the other hand, if you let them think about it and give them, it's good for them to have categories. And, and maybe I should just finish your earlier thought, Linda, that it's the one, one way we've done it is the five facets of physical, emotional, social, uh, spiritual, and so on. The other way that, that we did later that actually I'm partial to, I thought it worked better because it was simpler. There were only three categories. One for school year goals. One was academic. Two was extracurricular, which could be anything from sports to music to student politics. And, and third, of course, was character goals. And that, in many ways, became the most interesting kind of goals that our, I think our children ever set. Well, and you might say, what, what is that? I mean, we actually gave them a foam core board this big, and we had them uh, do a, their own theme for the year. What's going to be your theme for the year? And then what are your academic goals? What are your extracurricular? What are your character goals? And you'd say, well, wait, I get the first two, but what do you mean by character goals? And what that meant was... You know, they really wrote down that they were, we had a couple of kids that said, I'm going to sit, I'm going to look in the the cafeteria once a week. I'm going to sit by somebody that looks like they need a friend and not by my own friends. I mean, that was their own goal, and they came up with it. It is so fun to see what these kids come up with. That would be too hard for some kids, and so they might have to think of a different kind of goal. Well, uh, it could be as simple as I'm, I'm going to... Whatever. Yeah, it could be as simple as I'm going to be completely honest this year, and I'm going to, at the end of each week, think back if I have told any lies or cheated well, on I've any never tests cheated on or whatever. Tests, yeah. But but um, my point was, if you if you get too helpful and you start setting the goals for them or suggesting what their goals should be or even sort of giving them clues and prompting them, it's actually better to show them some of your goals. You you get a foam core board or a big poster for yourself and put put your goals in the same category. That, they're, that you're giving them. I mean, yours might be, instead of academic, it might be work goals, and then it might be recreational goals and, and so on, but, but have the same basic categories. Be an example, show them the goals you've set, and then basically say, you know, a goal setting is a fabulous thing. I think maybe you're old enough to do it. Here's a foam core board for you. And then maybe they don't write a thing. Maybe they just sit there and look at it. For an hour or so, and that, that's okay. Just say, you know, we're thinking about it. Let's let's wait a week, and next week, maybe on family home evening or whatever, let's get out our goal boards again, and and you can just think about it. And I'm not going to come up with goals for you. If you have any questions, I'll answer you. But these are going to be your goals and not mine. And if you're patient enough, once they set those goals, wow, you are. 
you have a tremendous asset as a parent because now, instead of being a nagging mom or a lecturing dad, always trying to get them to do things, you're in a position to say, hey, son, can I help you with your goals? You, you become a consultant as a parent, which is a much more pleasant thing to be. Yeah, really we're isn't. almost out of time, uh, Linda. Why, why don't you have the closing word today and, and carry us right off, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work on what we're going to say for next week on Ayers on the Road. <laughs> right. You know, it is so fun to see what these kids come up with because they're creative. They can come up with the coolest ideas, and, and sometimes the little kids are, are hilarious. We had a daughter who got into percentages one year, and she just said, you know, I'm going to be 30% nicer. And I said, well, how do you calculate that? Oh, I, you know, and then she had that in her mind, how she was going to do it. And then on her physical goal, she said, I want to get only two cavities because she had horrible teeth. And, and that was her goal. And then her plans were to brush her teeth and floss and all that. They come up with the most fun things if you just let them go, have their own plans and their own goals. And they will have a much more successful year if it's their idea and not yours. So we wish you the very best in helping your kids to set school year goals. And we'll be talking to you again next week from the road.